Hey yo, hey yo. Mic check one two one two. Mic check one two one two. Salutations, beautiful people. You are now tuned in to the Minority Report. I am your host, Dre E. The Minority Report podcast is the dopest podcast on the planet where we tend to focus on issues, problems, great things, bad things affecting all minorities across the world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's go. My check one two one two. My check one two one two. This is Dre E. This is the Minority Report, episode number twenty-two. I have a special guest in the building, my man Brandon from Brandon from Young Ambitious Activist, located here in San Antonio, will be my special guest today on this episode. Brandon, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me out here. Uh, we've gotten to have the pleasure of hearing you speak, and uh, just. Can't thank you enough for what you do. Hey, man, I appreciate that a lot, man. So, um, like I said, you heard me speak. I've heard you speak. So just to give a little bit of history um, to, you know, to my listeners, uh, me and Brandon, we met at um, a protest a few weeks back um, at the uh, Bear County uh, Courthouse here in San Antonio, Texas. Um, Brandon, um, from what I seen, was actually leading that protest. And uh, I got to join, man. I got to join to see what they was about, see what he was about. We spoke. Um, they allowed me the opportunity to speak at their uh, protest. And um, it's been on ever since. I uh, met up with them again at another uh, protest they had. And um, again, they allowed me the opportunity to speak at that one as well. And um, me personally, man, I just like everything that you guys are doing out there. Um, young, ambitious activists. Um, that movement, that everything that y'all are doing, um, Antonio, Lexi, yourself, man, you guys are really, uh, you know, pushing this movement forward. I love the fact that you guys have not stopped. I love the fact that you guys have not slowed down because that was honestly my chief concern um, once all of this uh, stuff kicked off. Like, who's going to be there three or four weeks down the road? And sad to say and sad to see, um, a lot of it has died down. Um, I was just um, at a protest in Colleen, Texas for my friend Javier Ambler. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Justice for Hav. Um, and it was a pretty good show out over there as well, but you know, that's where, that's his hometown. Uh, but I was looking at, uh, I know a couple of activists uh, over in Austin, in the Austin area. And um, I, when I see their uh, groups of uh, people out there, um, like I said, the crowd is pretty much diminished, uh, which is a sad and unfortunate part because the thing, like I said in, in a couple of my uh, my speeches was, I mean, we, we can't stop, we can't uh, slow down. Uh, so talk to me, man. Brandon, tell me about young, um, ambitious activists or what it is you guys are doing. Um, what are you guys hoping to accomplish? Um, just, you know, whatever, whatever you have to say about them. So uh, to give everybody a background, um, young, ambitious activists was an idea uh, that Antonio Lee had uh, upon being at that Saturday night protest and what turned into a riot and destruction, probably the worst we've had right. or period at any event right. was that very first night. And with that destruction, he saw the need to create a cleanup and 
for whatever reason, you know, almost a half million people tuned into his Facebook Live that evening. Mm -hmm. And so when he, when he thought about who could show up for the cleanup, he knew he had a big audience. And it was kind of just an idea at that point um, that, hey, maybe something needs to be created to create change and have a platform for people to come voice their opinions on. And through that, 13 of us, 10 of us all complete strangers, no clue who the other person was, just seeing each other day in and day out at these events mm -hmm. and seeing who's kind of stepping forward to make stuff happen because right. for the most part, people are just showing up without any understanding as to what's going on right. or who's leading this thing. Right. And so uh, just a bunch of strangers started uh, recognizing their leadership in this and we formed an official LLC, uh, the Young Ambitious Activists. And That's awesome, man. All of us are working triple overtime on this right now. There's now probably about 25 to 30 of us working full time um, so that it's not just protest, that there's mm -hmm. actual change that goes on. And so being uh, active in the community, doing community cleanups, doing, you know, feeding the homeless, uh, working with uh, students and trying to get them internship programs, mm -hmm. um, really trying to engage with all the social services and community culture that we have here in San Antonio and leverage that into actual economic development and success for the city. Uh, and along with that, in addition to that comes obviously policies that need to be changed. You know, one of the big focuses right now is these poli police unions mm -hmm. because it re they have a uh, renegotiating their contract here soon. And so there's some certain chapters in there that need to be removed and working with uh, local um, organizations that are also in the same fight. Some of them are policymakers. Some of them are also activists. Some of them are protests. And through working with these other organizations, we're able to help share the community's voice and opinions and what mm -hmm. they need changed to the people actually writing these policies and presenting them to city council. Right. So um, Young Ambitious Activist is a multitude of fronts from you know, meeting behind the scenes with city and state officials to understand the gaps and hurdles to get actual things accomplished, to boots on the ground protest, in addition to cleaning up, you know, engaging with the community and figuring out a way to really make this whole city better and right. eliminate the problems we have at hand. All right, Brandon. So tell me, man, um, what is your what is your background as far as Black Lives Matter? Um, like also for for those of you who don't know, Brandon is actually uh, Caucasian. He's white, so um, which is in itself, I want to give you a big salute, man, because I've tried not gonna say thousands or hundreds, but a few different white people, man, try to get them on the show, man, just so we could actually have this conversation about Black Lives Matter, racism, and things of that nature. So I guess what I want to ask you is, um, growing up, man. Um, what type of conversations did you have in your household as far as race and, you know, dealing with black people and things of that nature? And the reason why I asked you that is like I, um, we spoke earlier on is because as a black person, we do. We have our parents have our, our parents or our, our elders. They have those conversations with us. So I just want to know, um, or do you guys have those type of conversations or, or did you have those type of conversations in your household growing up? Um, so I can't say that there was any form of any conversation in regards okay. to race. Uh, I was raised by my mom, um, never met my father, and 
my mom just never told me anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, despite the tough situations we were in growing up, uh, she managed to send me to private school. And uh, in that private school, kinder through eighth grade, um, you know, looking back, there was only two black people in the entire school. Okay. Uh, one of them was in my grade and one was a uh, grade above and their brother and sister. Uh, in second grade, that's who I had a crush on. Uh, <laughs> okay. But there wasn't an understanding of right. black, white, Mexican at that point. Okay. Um, in eighth grade, I went to public school mm-hmm. out on the northeast side, and that's when it became apparent that there is big cultural uh, differences okay. in not just the education, but in how people are raised and treated. Okay. And so the first person I met on the block in the neighborhood I moved into uh, was a black guy and him and I were best friends and we're still great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually built a webpage together and sold it when we were 14 years old. Like we were just young and ambitious, you That's know, what's up, man. and we met playing basketball just there in the block and in that neighborhood and in that school, I went from all white people mm-hmm. and some Hispanic people, mm-hmm. two black people in the whole school to now almost a complete opposite. Okay. Um, so now I got to hear things that I never heard before. Okay. And I got to see things differently. And one of those was an experience of me and that friend and another. Um, some girls had these bikes that you kind of like lay down in mm-hmm. and they let us use them and we're riding up the block and maybe like a block down, the cops come out and... Um, you say something like along the lines that they were stolen mm-hmm. and they put my two friends on uh, the curb and they asked me to come talk to them about what happened. And your two friends were black. Is yes. that correct? Okay. And so, you know, immediately there, why are you asking me what happened when it's my friends? Like it, it's really their friends, friends that gave us the bikes. I don't even really know those girls right. personally. Um, being young, scared kids we didn't really know what to do and we just took off on foot running okay and luckily didn't get in any trouble obviously i would never recommend that to anybody (laughs) right but we were just scared right and just didn't know how to react um so that was kind of my first experience and there's a totally different world than the private school that i was in so did you guys um after that incident did you guys talk about that about like what had happened and why while why they were asked to get on the floor or get on the ground and the cops asked to speak to you um, being the only white kid. Did you, did you and your two friends talk about that afterwards? I wouldn't say in that regards. I think it was more of the shock of, you know, like how did the cops, you know, think this? Right, and right. The fact that we ran away and managed to get away. Right. You know, we were kind of that on the... Right, right, right. What I the heck you. just happened I kind of situation yeah. and didn't necessarily see it from the angles that we see it now looking right. back, you know. right. Uh, and they weren't uh, treated, you know, like physically unfair. Right, they right. were just asked to sit on the curb. But right. it's that whole dynamic, right. and that whole situation, the way right. it took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that being your first, um, um, your first, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, encounter, basically, with seeing, not knowing at the time, but seeing how racism affects yourself versus your two uh, black friends that were with you, right? So going forward um, in high school, um, were there anything, uh, were there any 
is there anything that stood out to you in high school amongst you and your friends, or was it just ma- mainly um, being that you guys, you know, you got used to being, you know, in that neighborhood because it was the same neighborhood, correct, that you grew up in? Um, was it just day to day life, or were there more incidents down the road that now hindsight's twenty twenty, you look back at it that you could say, okay, well, you know, that was racist as well. So I, I went to three different high schools. Okay. Were you uh, bad or you just went to three different No, I, I moved out at a young age. Uh, okay, okay. Um, and so I started off at Judson. Okay, yeah. And so then, you know, they're transitioning from the eighth grade school to Judson. Right. You know, I'm in the same culture, the same right, friends right. that I had. Right. Um, all the friends from private school I still was friends with. Mm-hmm. But because everybody essentially lived on different sides of town, we were all in different high schools right. and none of them went to Judson. Okay. So all my friends now were a new group of friends that right. I had just met from the eighth grade, you know, up to that point in the neighborhood I lived in, it was that same you right. know, culture. Right. So it just was ingrained, you know, from the start at that point. Mm-hmm. But then soft, sophomore year, or um, went to Reagan, okay. and all of a sudden now, the dynamic shifts completely opposite the other direction mm-hmm. to where now we're back to, uh, you know. Uh, majority white people in okay. the school and now my Judson friends are so far mm-hmm. you know that our ability to engage content, on a regular yeah. basis is much right. tougher right um so being there you the school you know the way the, the quality of the school the quality of the food one of the biggest things that stood out to me was lunch right at Judson when we went to lunch uh there's a cage in you'd speak to a lady behind the cage at that time and you told them what you wanted, you pay, and then they slid your food hmm. under the cage hmm. you know, to you. At Reagan, all the food's just out there for you to grab mm-hmm. and then you're just expected to pay for it you know, as a responsible student. Right. Um, so that was one of those things that hit me that... Right, that's different. We're yeah, still yeah. at high school, but right. there's a big difference on how lunch is served. Right. Um, so then junior year, I went back to Judson and now 16, get a car, so now I have the ability to still hang out with right. whoever it is I want to hang, hang out, out with. Right. Um, and I had some friends that were joining a thing called Ujima, which is like a step team. Okay. Um, and Ujima means extended family. Uh, and I love to dance, and so I was the one white guy on mm-hmm. the step team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always felt engaged with the culture. Okay. Um, after junior year, then went to Churchill for my senior year, and it's kind of a mix of whites, Hispanics, blacks, all sorts of different races, cultures right. and races. Yeah. And the lunch dynamic again is kind of like a mix. Like mm-hmm. you kind of have a little bit of the, you know, we expect you to do the right thing, and then also there's a little bit of order in place. Right kind of like Judson had. Right. So it's kind of like a blend of both. Um, and so then after that, um, I now was, you know, had this group of friends from kindergarten through high school that right. were just from a lot of different walks backgrounds of and mm-hmm. walks of life. Right. And growing up with a single mom who worked, you know, her tail off for everything, uh, she's the most loving, free-spirited woman there mm-hmm. is. And so you know, 
homeless people weren't looked at any different right. than anybody else. Right. So there was never anything taught to me in that way. Okay. Um, the first form of it that I experienced from within my family was right after high school. Okay. So right after high school, uh, I got my own place and a girl I lived with who we started dating, she was half black, half Italian. Okay. And I got invited to a Thanksgiving dinner um, and said, of course, me and my girlfriend will be there. Right. Um, that person asked, you know, isn't your girlfriend black? Mm-hmm. And my, I'm like, if, yeah, you know, like, right. Why do you ask? Yeah. And uh, they're like, well, you know, we can't have black people at our Thanksgiving dinner. And I was like, all right, well, then I guess you can't have me either because mm-hmm. we're together, you know, mm-hmm. as a couple mm-hmm. and we live together. Like, mm-hmm. you know, right. we're essentially mm-hmm. one. Okay, Lira at home and go. So, <laughs> right. you know, thank you. Y'all have a good right. Thanksgiving dinner, but we just won't be there. Right. Um, and that's someone who I spent Thanksgiving dinner with every right. year of my life mm-hmm. up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, yeah. the after you get out of school yeah. and get to start experiencing life, life yeah. um, and having to face those type of things. How did that make you feel? Uh, it sucked to mm-hmm. know that, you know, inside my own family and this person fully Hispanic mm-hmm. had such strong feelings. And I've come to learn that really those strong feelings are against even Hispanics. Right. It's against almost all races except for white people right um if you have a college diploma and a good job you're just seen as a better person regardless of who you are as a person Hmm. um it's a shitty thing to find out about someone you care and love about yeah yeah, most definitely Um, man um uh, did you did you have that uh conversation with your girlfriend at the time uh yeah yeah so uh she took it way better than I think I would have definitely taken it. It was yeah. just a, this is how people are, Brennan, yeah. you know. It's not my first time experience type yeah. of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, no biggie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for it, me, it was... Yeah, and, and that's the thing, man. It, it sucks that we we are so conditioned to being treated like that, that we become numb to it, you know what I mean? So just like I asked you, like for myself, man, growing up, um, in my household, man, um, I was um, shit, man. My, my my childhood is <laughs> is a wild childhood, man. Um, so um, the first like six years of my life, man, it was with my mom's, man. My mom's a uh, single mom, um, addicted to drugs, man. Uh, dealt drugs, all types of shit, man. Ended up uh, abandoning uh, me and my siblings. Uh, me in the back of a taxi cab. Me and my brother in the back of a taxi cab. Left my sister in the bar. Uh, from there, man, we ended up in the state for like a year, year and a half, until my pops came and got me. So then my pops, um, he was, who was in the army at the time, um, my pops came and got me, man. Um, and I spent six years with him, um, but those six years were the worst six years of my life, man. Um, I was abused by my stepmom constantly, a black woman as well, um, constantly uh, just treated like shit. Um, but in those six years, man, um, what we were taught, it was never anything... Um, bad against white people. It's just it was just that we had to change how we behaved around white people, um, not to give them any uh, any more. I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, ammunition to um, be racist against us. So we always, you know, um, 
you know, use use your proper words, don't speak slang, um, stand up straight. Um, those are the, all the things that, you know, we were taught, like, uh, in my household when it came to white people. Also, um, and then, of course, like, dealing with the cops, dealing with the police. It was always, you know, abide-by, you know, listen to what they say. Um, don't ever get, you know, er, listen to what they say and do exactly what they say. Never give them no, you know, never talk back to them. Never, you know, do anything that could remotely um, get you in any more trouble. Um, because my father used to always say that, um, that, we, that we already had one strike against us, and that was our skin color. So that was, that was already your first strike. So you, you start piling on after that. If you're talking back, if you're moving, if you're not listening, things of that nature. So that's the, um, that's the reality of, um, of me and my, myself and a lot of my family and friends who are black. That was our reality growing up. And um, dealing with the police, man, it was just always... Um, it was never. I mean, I'm, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna lie and say it was never a good experience. I've had good experiences with police, um, but as a youth, um, it was never a good experience uh, for myself um, dealing with the police. I've I've always fit every description of anything that ever went on in any neighborhood that I was in. I'll always fit the description. You know what I mean? And um, to the point to where when you know you get pulled, and a lot of this time you know I was walking, so you get pulled over by the cops and you walk in. You just automatically assume the position. You know, you get to the front of the squad car, you put your hands on the hood, and you spread your legs, and you don't move until they finish doing whatever it is the hell they want to do. They talk crazy to you. They harass you. They physically harass you. Um, all of that. That that's that was just all normal day to day life and routine for myself until um, I got older and I joined the Air Force and became a cop in the Air Force. And then, of course, you know, I learned my rights and, you know, what they can and can't do to me. So once I've, I was educated on that, um, I'm not going to say the harassment stopped. Um, if anything, it's, it, it, it lightened up because they understood that I did know my rights. And especially when I was in the military and I was a cop in the military, you know, I carried my badge around with me. Um, so that stopped a lot of things as well. But then on the flip side of that, a lot of them didn't like that because I was educated. And then it was like, you know, or you're a smart ass, or you think you know this, that, and the third. So then they'll harass you even more because of you being educated, you know? So that's, that's the experience that, um, that a lot of black households um, growing up, um, that, that's how they were uh, introduced to a lot of white people and a lot, but a lot of white people, like some of my friends' houses, I mean, they'll straight up say the, the, the white man's the devil, you know what I mean? Or the white people are the devil, you know, they're not to be trusted and things of that nature. But fortunately for me, I grew up in clean Fort Hood, Texas, man. So biggest army base in the world. Like I always, I often tell people if you're, if you're a racist from Colleen, you have to try very hard to be a fucking racist, man, because um, it's literally Everything from all walks of life lives in Colleen and is from Colleen, especially in, around the time I grew up. And then, like, for me, like, my, my crew in high school, man, it was like, we was like the Rainbow Coalition because it was literally one of us representing every fucking country there was. And we loved that. And, and, and honestly, when, you know, when I look back on it, like, there was a lot of kids um, there who, you know, had a, you know, 
a really mixed, not really mixed, but like you'll see a group of black kids and they'll have one or one white kid and one like or one Hispanic kid or something like that. Or vice versa, a group of white kids have one black kid and, you know, a Hispanic kid or Asian kid. But literally my my crew that I grew up with, there was literally like one or two of us representing like every ethnicity out there. So it was beautiful in the sense that I really got to, you know, um, experience other cultures growing up and the, the color barriers, they really didn't matter. Of course, I've seen it. Like, and that's like this big thing. Like now I have this big problem with people saying that they don't see color. You know what I mean? It's something that you have to see. You have to recognize my color. You need to understand what it is I go through as a black man. I need to understand what it is you go through as a white person or an Asian person or a Mexican person or an Indian person. I need to understand that. So it's vitally important that we do see color. Um, and I've seen that at an early age. I mean, I like for a lot of my friends, I was their first black friend that their parents allowed in their house. You know what I mean? And I understood why that was. I, I did. I truly understood why that was. Um, it felt like shit um, initially. It did um, to be like, they used to tell me, oh, no, no, he can't come in. Or, no, y'all just stay outside and come in now. But then, like, when, you know, when they were uh, going into the house without me, it was they were they were welcomed with open arms. But, like, every time in the beginning when it was me, it was like, no, no, or y'all just stay outside, you know what I mean? But what's, so, what's funny and ironic about that is, like, once they, you know, their parents did start allowing me in that house, man, um, they loved me, man. They loved me more than any of their other friends, you know what I mean? And um, by the time we graduated our senior year, man, it was like um, they looked at me as a responsible one, like, okay. And But what I loved about that situation was I got to really show a lot of um, non-black people that black people are fucking normal. We're, we're just as normal as the next kid, and, you know, and we're, we're fucking great, and we can be, we're not, you know, with, you know, we're not who they portray us to be on TV, and we're not, you know, all, you know, thugs, we're not gangbangers and shit. It's like, yo, we have intelligence, we can hold conversations, we're smart and all of those things as well, man. So I was actually honored to be able to, you know, to um, bring down those walls for those parents involved, man. And like I said, man, they love me like I'm their own son. And we're all still close to this day, man. And all their parents are, you know, they're, they're, they're like my parents, man. They're, they're proud of me. Um, they, they check out for me. They look out for me, man. And it's like, um, it, it was a beautiful thing growing up, man. So um, as far as in your adulthood, man, like once you got into the workforce and everything, um, this is the systematic racism that exists and is going to exist for years on end until you know we actually get out here and start changing these things. Have you ever noticed that in in the workplace? And I know that you, um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I overheard you say or heard you say that um, you was in business for yourself for a while. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So um, before that, though, uh, being in the workforce, is there anything that you notice as far as the workforce is concerned? Uh, most certainly. Um, one of my biggest experiences that happens with my, uh, one of my dearest, dearest friends, uh, who's from Eritrea. Okay. Um, I was working at a TV shop selling TVs and, um, this gentleman came in and, uh, we just started talking and he's like, man, this kind of be a cool place to work. You know, any chance you think 
mm-hmm. might be able to get hooked up with a job. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you seem like a cool guy. You know, I'll recommend you to the boss, see what we can do. So he got a job. They hired him. And uh, we just became best of friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to hear his story of, you know, how his parents had to escape from Eritrea due to the violence over there mm-hmm. to get here, you know, for him to have the opportunities he has. And mm-hmm. he, uh, just an outstanding, super smart individual, you know, college graduate. And uh, we end up selling these TVs together, you know, full time. Uh-huh. And uh, the boss one day, we're the two youngest guys there by mm-hmm. like 10 years. Okay. Um, so we're way, way younger right, than everybody. Right, right. And then he's black and bald and I'm, white <laughs> right uh and one month we weren't doing that good in sales and uh the owner asked us to stay behind so he could have a talk with us mm-hmm. and he asked us what our hurdles were or what we thought our hurdles were mm-hmm. and my answer was you know being young i think that because so many people here are older than me when a customer comes in you know, they might not think I have the same knowledge or skill right. set of some of these older individuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looked at my friend and he asked him, you know, well, what do you think your hurdles are? And he's like, well, you know, I guess kind of the same thing, you know, because I'm, you know, young too. And he goes, and you know, what else? And it's like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. And uh, the guy says, uh, you're black. And he wasn't saying it in right. a racist way. He's right. saying it in, you need to be you aware. Be aware. Yes. We're catering to a very particular high-end clientele that right. tends to be right. of a certain, you know, ethnicity. And they may look at you, and that's an obstacle you have to overcome, so mm-hmm. you need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And my friend looks at me, like, with anger, but, you know, I, you know what, what is this, you know, right, right, right now? Right. And luckily, that owner just is a great man who took us as young people and help guide us mm-hmm. to becoming actual men. And part of that is waking up to yeah. those type of things and knowing yeah. that's something you're going to have to overcome. So uh, that was one of my first experiences as an adult in the working place mm-hmm. that, you know, not necessarily experienced seeing racism, right, right. but understanding its effects. Yeah, and that was actually... a. Um that was a powerful thing for the owner to do, man, because a lot of the times, especially when we're young, man, we're naive to we're naive to to our own skin color, our own complexion, man, because and until someone points it out and like lets us know, like like the owner did to your yourself and your friend, um, we can, I mean, we can go through this world like just blinded by um, the realities of life. And like I said, like me growing up, growing up in Colleen, man, I'm going to tell you, man, like my story is like me growing up in Colleen. Like I said, I mean, I, I didn't experience racism when it came to people to people, but from the police department, of course, you know what I mean? But like around people, no, nah, I never experienced no racism um, in Colleen um, as far as, you know, just regular day to day people is concerned. It always came from the police department, but that's been my experience my whole life, you know. Um, then from there, I left, man. I went to Las Vegas, which is another melting pot. So, um, again, I mean, not amongst the people, but more so amongst um, the police department. But then a strange thing happened, man. I, um, I left out of Vegas, 
and I moved up there to Round Rock, to Round Rock, Texas, a uh, suburb of uh, Austin, Texas, right? And um, I lived in Williamson County, right? And um, I got this townhouse. I, I didn't, I, a few of my high school friends live up there. So they just, I, I like the area they lived in. So I went and got me a townhouse in the area they lived in. It just so happened that this townhouse was right outside of this prestigious neighborhood that, you know, has these million dollar houses on the golf course. Like, like it's tucked in there. But, and I didn't know that. So I found myself getting pulled over like once a month, every month for like a year for next to nothing, turn signal, uh, not having a front license plate, tent too dark, just all types of just nonchalant, non, like, but like I said, I know my rights and I know, you know, what's going on with me, you know what I mean? So I don't, I think I've only got, I, I think I've gotten an actual ticket from them pulling me over once, once a month for a year. I think I only got an actual ticket, um, once or twice. But other than that, um, it was just warnings. But the, the bottom line is, man, I was driving while I was black and I was outside this neighborhood and they wanted to know why. You know what I mean? So to uh, experience those things, that was one thing. But then it was kind of expected because of the area that I was in. I'm in Austin. I mean, it is what it is. Basically, I'm in Austin. So that's to be expected. But the huge and the biggest shocker of all for me, man, was moving to San Antonio, Texas uh, six or almost seven years ago. You know what I mean? So when I got here, I'm from clean Texas. There's nothing but Hispanics, blacks, Asians. There's everything there. We're all there. So me being back here in San Antonio, because it's my second time living here, I was in, in Air Force. I was in boot camp. I did my uh, tech, tech school training, everything here. But I didn't notice anything when I was here because I was around my Air Force buddies all the time. And anytime we left base, we was all around each other. So I didn't really notice anything. But moving back here at you know the age of 36, yeah, I was 30, 35, 36 when I moved here. And um, man, within the month of being here, um, I experienced, I mean, I, I, could, I could feel the racism, you know what I mean? And it was, it, was, it was such a shocker to me because I'm like, how can Hispanic people be racist? But a lot of them are, man. And that's what's unfortunate about this city. It's like, because the reality is, um, they, the, the way other non-white people look at races, well, at least we're not black. Because for black people, that's the bottom of the totem pole. It's like, it, don't, it doesn't get any worse than being black. And so the majority of, I'm not gonna say majority, but a lot of these Hispanics here in San Antonio, Texas, they're very racist towards black people. And like I said, I noticed that I used to work for Walmart and I got transferred here from Walmart. And I just noticed just all straight off the, off the top, just being in the workplace. It's like my, um, my Hispanic counterparts would get opportunities and, and advancements and things like that to where they wouldn't even look at me twice for that. You know what I mean? Um, there was a there was a point whereas um, one of my coworkers who happened to be a black female, man, she could run a store inside out, man. Um, any manager in uh, San Antonio that needed to be trained, they'll send her to this to this manager to be trained. So we was at a at a at a store, and uh, the club manager position had opened up, and she was already in that store as a co manager. Right. And like I said, she was the person like I knew about this woman before I even met her because they was always like, yo, send them to her. She'll get them right. She'll train them right. She, she's on top of her shit. Now, she was that person. 
Now, she was already in this store that the store manager position had just become vacated, right? You think they hired her to be the store manager? Absolutely not. They did any and everything for her not to be the store manager and just did her completely dirty. And from that point on, it was like I knew I needed to, you know, I had to plan my exit route from there. But to see the amount of racism and then, like, the thing that's, that's so prevalent now is a lot of people are just standing by watching it happen. And, I, and, and in that situation, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand by and watch that happen. But even if I, I believe that even if I was white, I couldn't let that happen. Like, hold up, this is the go-to person. She's the, she's, she clearly knows everything about everything because they're the one, she's the person that everybody in the district or the market or whatever, whatever you want to call it sends people to her for, the, for her to train them to be store managers. And now that this position is open, you can't, you can't and won't allow her to be a store manager. For what other reason? You can't see. You cannot say she's not qualified. We know what that is. You know what I mean? I mean, we see it a mile away. You know, so here in the city, man, it's like it's a very racist city. I mean, uh, other uh, there's no other way to put it. And like I said, it was it was shocking to me because I never thought that um, Hispanic or Latino people could be so racist. Um, to another group of minorities because they're a group of minorities, you know? So um, that's going to bring me to young, ambitious activists, right? That's you guys' um, movement. That's what you guys, that's, like you said, you're a part of that. You spoke a little bit about it in the beginning. So um, tell me, what are some things, or you guys got a couple of events coming up this week, correct? Tell me, tell me about those. So we have an event on Wednesday, uh, which is a community cleanup. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be starting at the Carver Cultural Community Center and just working our way down uh, North Hackberry to Martin Luther King and then go up MLK to Pittman Sullivan Park mm -hmm. and pretty much just pick up all the trash, clean up any graffiti. Uh, hopefully we're going to have some uh, lawn care equipment, you know, to make sure uh, if we can help out some people's yards to help them out, mm -hmm. sidewalks, get them nice and pretty. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some power washers to help uh, yeah, make things shine dope. as well. That's good. So that's what we're going to be doing Wednesday. Uh, definitely feel free to come out. Check us out on uh, the social medias, Young Ambitious Activist on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and come out and help. You know, it's, it's all we, we are nothing more than the community and a voice and a platform for the community. Mm -hmm. And we want to engage with them. So Wednesday, we'll be doing the community cleanup. Saturday, we're going to be doing a 100% female-led and organized event. Uh, so we have a couple females in our organization that have reached out to the female leaders of other organizations and just female leaders throughout the city. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of created this event. Uh, and we're That's just, dope. you know, wherever you need us to help fill in the gaps. Right, right. Um, let us be the hammer and screwdriver to, you know, be your tools. Um so that's going to be going on Saturday at 5 p.m. Uh, to about 8.30 p.m. That's dope, man. So to speak on, you know, the event with the women leading it, um, how did that come about and why did that come about? Um, so through this, we've, through this process of becoming an actual organization and nobody having any plans, ideas, uh, no business plan, no previous skill sets. Mm -hmm. um, 
to this, we've had to experience a lot of growing pains. Uh, we've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had to own up to those mistakes. We had to shift uh, and pivot as the community has responded you know, to us and the message that we try to get out there for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that was a gentleman told me, Brandon, you as a white man will never be able to understand what it's like to be a black man. And I as a black man will never be able to understand what it's like for a black woman. That's facts. It became extremely forefront that not only is this movement about Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. it's about the female voice and allowing her to be heard and allowing her to lead because it just doesn't happen in society at large. Um, So everybody, it wasn't a a vote or anything. It was kind of a common sense. Yeah, we all need to take a back seat and let the women take this thing forward. Right. Um, And so luckily, you know, we have a ton of amazing, powerful, strong women with outstanding leadership qualities unique skill sets in a variety of different areas. And uh, I think they're just going to do something really amazing this Saturday. I agree with that, man. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad I asked that question, man, because um, as a fellow activist, um, I, I have a, one of my fellow activists, who one our fellow activists, who leads up a lot of uh, movements in Austin, she happens to be, she's a female, man. She's a former employee of mine. And to see her out there on the front lines, like, leading her uh, her protests and her organization um, is nothing short of beautiful to me. You know what I mean? Um, I have, and, and like I said, that's, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, man, because for you guys to do that, to have a protest led by all females and to to give them that voice, um, a much needed voice, uh, because especially when it comes to black women, there are the, I can't even think of the word I'm, I wanna use, but they're the least represented uh, demographic in the United States. They're the, they're, they're, the, they're the most dogged out, they're the most forgotten about, they're the most harmed um, demographic that we have, and you know, I'm a black man, and I got a lot. I got a. I got a lot. I got a lot of strong, fe- black females around me, um, giving me advice every day, um, telling me what to do. I seek out their advice, and so I'm a product of them. And I didn't grow up with my mother, so um, that 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 tells you a lot about the black women that I have um, in my life. You know, a lot of them, um, the ones that are in my life, they're you know behind the scenes. They want to be. <laughs> <laughs> they let me do all the talking and then, you know, whatever the case may be. And they're, you know, they're behind the scenes and they're, um, they're encouraging me. They're, you know, you know, you know, they're giving me all that I need so I could get out here and do what it is that I do. Um, so their voice is very important. And the, for the, the fact that you guys are giving them this platform um, to vocalize, you know, their concerns their what their issues, their you know to to just give back to the people, 
Um, me, myself, personally, us here at the Minority Report, man, we appreciate you guys for doing that, man, because, for one, that's rare. Um, and you guys are young, too. You guys are a young movement as well. Only a, well, about a month in, right? Correct? Uh, I mean, technically, two weeks. Two, two weeks, right? <laughs> uh, we, uh, we've been active for four weeks. Right, We didn't right. become an organization until just two weeks ago. Exactly, man. So that's powerful, man. And um, I'm glad you guys are, you know, giving them that voice to be able to show that, you know, women women are dope, man. Um, especially women, women, uh, women in leadership are very dope. They have a voice. They're very smart. Um, they're articulate. They can express themselves in ways that men in general can't even fathom doing, you know what I mean? So that's important, man. That's brilliant, man. And um, I'm glad you guys are doing that. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to attend that. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to attend that. And I'm not out of town. But um, if not, then I'm sure you guys are going to have, uh, you know, some in the future that I will be attending, man. Um, and hopefully, you guys get a lot of that recorded, man. So for the ones of us, I mean, for those of us who can't be there, you know, we could, you know, catch it that way as well. Um, Young ambitious activists, man. Young ambitious activists. Um, it's beautiful, man. I love what you guys are doing. Um, if at any time, you know, you need um, me to, you know, help or collaborate on anything. Of course, as you know, man, we spoke about it off mic a couple of times. I'm there for you, man. Um, Brandon, I appreciate your insight. I appreciate you um, lending your voice today. Um, I appreciate what your movement is doing, young, young, ambitious activists here in San Antonio, Texas. You can find them at Young Ambitious Activists on Facebook and on Instagram as well. Um, please stay up to date in their events. Um, I always repost or post uh, whatever events they're having. Um, you can find them on my page as well. Of course, link in the bio. We have a website now as well. Oh, you guys have it? Okay. Yep, so you can go to Young Ambitious Activists, plural. Uh, dot com and uh, see what we're about there's a you know donor area there's a volunteer area so you can sign up uh, and become a volunteer and we can uh, we have an email subscription so we can keep you in the loop as to what's going on each week that's dope man so now you guys got the website as well so uh brandon man um anything else you want to say uh, before we leave out of here uh just thank you again um for everything you do uh you, you meant a lot speaking at St. Philip's last week, um, we all said in our group, we wish we would have recorded the video of that so we could share it as like that. something we can teach to, to people in general. Um, so I just really appreciate you always offering up your, your time. Uh, I know it's valuable and uh, I just can't thank you enough for that. Well, man, I appreciate that, man. And I want to th like, again, man, thank you guys. And uh, thank you guys for um, putting on for the females and for the ladies um, this Saturday at 5 p.m., correct? Yes, sir. Um, so um, check them out, Young Ambitious Activist. Um, this is my man, Brandon. This is Dre Edis, the Minority Report, episode number 22, I believe. Don't, don't, I'll fact check that. Um, you guys have a great day and be blessed. All right, peace. Whew. There we go, you guys. Another episode of the Minority Report is in the books. I want to thank all the listeners out there for continuing to listen to us each and every week. To all of our new listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you. The more the merrier. Please spread the word. You can follow us at Minority Rap Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So all social media platforms, Minority Rap Pod on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I want to shout out to my girl Ty White for the beat. 
um, for the intro outro beat. So y'all look her up, Ty White Beats, Ty White underscore Beats, and that's on your Instagram or on Apple Music as well. You can find her, she can lace you with a beat or two. Um, also look us up on our YouTube channel, The Minority Report. It's on YouTube. Uh, we're on there. Please hit that subscribe button. Uh, like us, dislike us, leave a comment. Um, let us know. Let us know how we did on today's episode, and we'll greatly appreciate that. Until then, um, I'll ask.